Well, good morning. There wasn't an announcement, but uh, we were the winners of the first ever Claremont Bible Chapel golf competition. We will be referred to as champ until the next competition is held. So, Ryan, you're going to have to get on that. Uh, if it wasn't for Scott McKay here, we would have lost. <laughs> he, uh, he chipped in a, a shot over a bunker, two hopped it right into the hole. Unbelievable. Everyone was ecstatic. It was one of those situations where all the holes kind of lined up, so everyone heard the celebration. And I think that level of intimidation really struck at the hearts of all the competitors. And it was really, uh, it was in the bag from then on. So it was, a, it was a great day. Thank you, Ryan, for, for putting it on and for all those that came out. Many of them, it was like their first time, so that awesome. That's a great, great place to start. Had a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're willing to come next time, don't feel like you have to be any good. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was an extremely pedestrian round. Uh, you know, you think of you had four guys with, with each had an opportunity at each shot to pick the best shot and we won at even par. So when an amateur can still beat us, even though we have four people to take a shot and pick the best shot, you can come out. It really was a great time. Uh, so Robert was on the team and my dad was on the team. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Another update on the Believer's Bible Conference. If you are interested in going, uh, there are flights for anywhere from 350 to $400 right now. So it's actually a decent price. In the past, we've paid up to $600 for the flight to go out there. Uh, so $350 to $400 is not a bad price. If you get four people in the room, it's $250 a person. Uh, so you're looking at a $600 expense, $350 plus the $250 uh, for the conference out there. It is a great time uh, if you are interested in going. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to continue uh, what our brother Ken started last week in looking at um, really this defense of the gospel. Basically what was going on at the time, as, as our brother Ken pointed out last week, was <clears throat> there had been these men that have come to this area of Galatia and were preaching uh, a false gospel. They were preaching a different way, and this is Paul's response to that. Um, many people refer to this book as the smaller Romans. In a sense, that's true because it's dealing with the gospel, but in Romans, he's laying out doctrinally an explanation for how the gospel is possible, all things that God has done to make this salvation work, um, our relationship with Christ, and how we should then live. In Galatians, it's a direct offense against this idea of justification by works, people thinking that it's believe in Christ plus do all these things. And what Paul is writing here is that justification is by grace through faith alone. And so this is really just a correction uh, being written to straighten out the believers in Galatia. Uh, he doesn't correct any behavior, really, that we see in the book. There's no direct, don't, it's not like Corinthians where he says, you know, stop doing that and start doing this, and you can't go and worship over there and worship over here. Uh, he's not really addressing those things. He's directly addressing this attack against the gospel. Uh, so we're going to look at verses 11 through 24, but I'm going to read just the whole chapter for context's sake. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So what is the gospel? Uh, when we uh, say this, the gospel is used in so many different ways. When we uh, say this idea of what is the gospel, what comes to mind? Uh, what immediately jumps into your head? And is it true? Where did you get it from? Where did you hear it? Can it be found in the word of God? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's just a few, probably just a few pages over in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at something real quick. First Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. This is Paul speaking. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. It says, For I am least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. What we have in 1 Corinthians 15 is this idea of the facts of the gospel. The facts of the gospel is that Christ came, Christ died on a cross, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again on the third day, and Christ appeared to all these men, and these men are all witnesses that are going out and saying that Christ is the Son of God, he has risen from the dead, he has conquered death. And when we think of this idea of the cross, 
why do we preach the cross? It's because it's, the, it's this perfect picture of all that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ, that when Christ was giving himself up as a substitute, that he died in your place as a sacrifice. And when he shed his blood there at the cross, God had poured out his wrath upon him. And now God is accepting Christ's payment in all that would believe in him by faith. Those are what we would call the terms of the gospel. How does the gospel which God has accomplished, these facts that took place, how does that get applied to an individual? What are the terms of this relationship that are established? When, when Kathy and I got married, you know, you got to go, you got to get a marriage license, you got to go, you have to have a ceremony, ceremony performed, and you got to fill in the thing. And the most difficult part of the whole scenario is that you have to sign your name in this little teeny box. And you can't go outside the box. It has, you have got to fit your entire name in this little teeny box. And if you don't, you're going to send it in. They're going to reject it. And they're going to say, no, no, no. You're going to have to fill it out again. There's a process that you have to go through these terms, and then you get the certificate that, yes, you are married. Now, in the eyes of God, it's this ceremony, you know, you're married. But in the, the, the state, it's this certificate. There's this process. What are the terms? that? What do we need to do in order to be seen in this relationship? Most people in all of Christendom, most, not all, but most, will agree with the facts of the gospel. The facts of the gospel are Jesus is the Son of God, that he came, that he died on a cross, that he was buried, that three days later he rose again. Those are the facts. They're undeniable. Um, at this point in time, when Paul's writing this letter, there were people that were alive that had seen the, the resurrected Lord, that had eaten with them, that had been with him. So it wasn't that they were saying that this Jesus Christ didn't do these things. When these men came into this area of Galatia, they weren't saying, you know, Jesus isn't who he said he was, none of that's true. They were saying, no, 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 Jesus is the Messiah, all this is true. But in order to maintain your standing with God and to keep in the right place, you have to obey the law. You have to be circumcised, you have to follow all these rules. They disagreed with the terms of the gospel, how this relationship is established and how God's blessing is then poured out upon somebody. And there's this real dichotomy between what's going on and what goes on in our own day and age. We make up rules. We, we, we just make them up. We, just, we, we have this thing that we establish that we say, to be a Christian is to do all of these things. We, we do this exercise uh, at Galilee sometimes. We say, what is a Christian? And they'll say, a Christian is a person that does these things, goes to church, reads their Bible, um, a Christian is a person that doesn't cuss. A Christian is a person that doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs, um, is faithful to their wife. A, that's, that's not what a Christian is. You can do all of those things and, and not be a Christian. A Christian is a person that has entered into a relationship with God through the finished work of Christ and faith in him. A Christian is a person that has been born into a position where they have been accepted by God and now have peace with God. It's not that this Christian did anything to, to deserve anything, but we make up these rules to identify what is a good Christian. But what happens is when we make up these rules, they're just for men. They're just for other people. We follow these rules to look good to other people. Paul's addressing this, and he gets even more into it in uh, Galatians chapter 2 when he confronts Peter about this. Um, you know, we, Kathy and I have this problem. We have a real problem. And you all may have this same problem, too, in your relationship. 
I am a rule follower. I love rules. I think rules are amazing. I think rules make things organized. I think rules make things easier. I think rules establish less contact with other people. <laughs> you, know, you don't understand what I'm saying? If you follow these rules, then I don't have to talk to people because I know the rules, then I don't have to worry about it. Kathy has never met a rule that she didn't want to break. That might surprise some of you, but that's really, that's inside baseball. That's really, okay. Kathy just, you know, when it says 15 items or less in that grocery store line, that does not apply to her. That, that, that is, you know, for her, it's something different. I'll give you some examples. Of myself, of myself. Relax. That's why she's leaving the room. You don't have to leave, babe. It's not because I'm talking about her. So some examples. When I worked at Disney, there was a point system. And there are a lot of jobs here like this, you know, 25,000 employees. And you have these, this point system. If you're late, it's a point. If you show up and you haven't shaved, it's half a point. Um, if you take too long coming back from a break, it's a point. It, all these different point systems. Uh, if you break a safety thing, it's three points. Now, if you got three points within a, like a two-month period, they could fire you on the spot. So you had two points and you showed up late, they could say, see ya, you're, you're no longer here. I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. You just, it was, it was clear, you went, you did this, and you could see how you were doing based on this point system. There's also rules that we put in place that aren't point system based. When I worked at Applebee's, we had a manager. And this manager was real, she had a lot of rules, and a lot of unwritten rules. One of them was when she came into out of her office into what we call the front of the house around the bar area there was all these if you've ever been to Applebee's there's all these round high top tables now if the chairs are not properly situated when you the minute you walk in the door it just looks like chaos it just looks like a mess and so she had this way of she liked to put the chairs in a specific way so that way when you walked in it looked organized it had this field of efficiency and so every time I was there that was the one thing I made sure of doing and when she walked out of her office, she could tell whether or not I was on based on how the chairs were lined up. I loved it. I thought it was great. We love rules because rules can make us look good. But they only make us look good to other people. There's, there's no merit. God finds no merit in these following the rules. That's so hard to believe. That's so hard to take in. Until you think of it like I think of Noah. I don't love Noah because he obeys all my rules. Because <laughs> he doesn't. No. Yeah. I love Noah because I choose to love Noah. I love Benji because I choose to love Benji. I love Jane because I choose to love Jane. I love my wife because I choose to love my wife. I don't love them because they do all these things for me. They obey, hopefully, because they love me back. And this is this relationship we've entered into. The Christian walk is not a walk of obeying all these rules. The Christian walk is responding to God in love because of his love for us. When Paul's writing this, never more, I, don't know, I, don't, I can't think of another place where Paul is more upset than this position right now. Because these are people that had just received the gospel from Paul, were going well, heard these things, and immediately turned to what he says... He calls it another gospel, he says, which is not another because there's only one gospel. That's that point that he's making. There's only one gospel. 
that they would be so quickly drawn away to this and enticed by this instead of enjoying the grace of God that comes through Christ Jesus. This was something that was just, when you think of the gospel and you think of the book of Romans, it, it's the, the most expansive view of what the gospel is. The reason why the gospel may not appeal to our flesh is because it immediately starts with us in this dead state, completely separated from God, unable to achieve salvation on our own no matter what we achieve. And in the first three chapters of Romans, through the first half of the third chapter, it makes this proclamation that all are guilty. You all are guilty before God. Now, if men were to invent a gospel, it wouldn't go that way. It wouldn't start that way. All are dead, all are separated, you, there's nothing you can do. Okay, then what do we do? And it's not about what we do. It's about what God did. And so he breaks in and how God justified us because of Christ, how he, he judged Christ on the cross, and because of him judging Christ on the cross, he now has become just and the justifier of all who would believe in him. And chapter 4 talks about this idea of how do, we come to, how do we come into this relationship? By faith. And he goes back through all these different uh, you know, pillars of the faith, Abraham and David. And he says, you know, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's faith that God wants. Belief, trust in Christ. Now you may say, I believe the facts. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he was buried and that three days later he rose again. Well, how do you get to heaven? Well, you see, you got to be a good person and, and you got you to try really hard and you got to try to obey and read your... You understand the facts, but you do not trust in Christ for salvation. There is a distinct difference between understanding the facts. These men that Paul is preaching against, they understood the facts. They disagreed on the terms. That it's by faith alone. That's how the gospel is preached. As he gets into this, he goes back to his former life. Uh, but he begins, he says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor as I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. We did not receive the gospel this way. Uh, we receive the gospel in this type of setting where the word is being preached, uh, the word is taken in, and the word is believed upon. We, we hear it from another person. Paul was not that case. If you remember in Acts chapter 9, the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And there was a, a, a point in time where there was a contact between the Lord and Paul. And we see that this interaction takes place. It talks about him in this portion, how he goes to Arabia for three years and then comes back. And we would assume these three years and he's in Arabia is this time where the Lord is dealing with him and teaching him through the scripture and by the spirit of God to commission him to do all of these things. For us, what does this tell us? that we don't have the right to change the gospel. It's important for us to keep the gospel as simple as we received it, by faith, through grace, by grace, through faith. When you think of the idea that Paul is explaining here, he says that he, he received it by revelation. And in verse 13, he says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. 
and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This is that idea that I was talking about. Paul loved rules too. And Paul didn't only succeed in these rules that the scripture laid out, but in all these other things that the traditions of the fathers had put in place. Now, in case you think that we don't have those same issues in our day and age, let me point some out to you. When you wake up in the morning, you are to pray, you are to read your Bible, uh, you are to meditate on the word, you are to attend all the meetings, you are to come in a well-kept dress. If you do all of these things, not one of us will come and approach you and say you're doing anything wrong. Because those are all good things. The why matters. Why are you doing them? If you're doing them just to check the box, if you're doing them just to look good to other people, if you're keeping these rules just to create this spiritual sense of I'm doing okay, it's not okay. The why matters. Why are you doing these things? And this is what Paul is getting out. He was zealous for all of these things because he thought this gave him better standing in the eyes of God. This was something that he was striving for. We have to ask ourselves, is there things that we're doing to try to earn a better standing with God? You may not think so at first, but just think about the daily things and ask the question, why do I do this? And the easiest examples are um, if, you, if you're married with your spouse. You know, if I take the trash out before she asks me, if I put the dishes out of the dish, take the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them away before she has to, um, if I put the kids to bed, you know, she does this thing where she puts Jane to bed first and she goes to sleep, but then she falls asleep too. And she does it on purpose so that she doesn't have to get up and deal with the two wild animals that we have in Noah and Ben that I have to put to sleep. So if I put them to sleep without asking, hey, you know, can you help? Then the question is, why am I doing this? Am I doing this just because these are rules that I put in place to look good for my wife, or am I doing it because I love my wife? The why matters. When you think of this Christian life, and this comes up a lot too, when you think of the Christian life and you think of things that you want from God, do a lot of your prayers start out with, you know, thank you for this day, thank you for all these things. Now let me give you my list of all the things I need you to do for me uh, in the day. Sometimes this is how our prayers get. I need you to do all of these things for me. We have to understand that when we trusted in Christ, we entered into a relationship with God whereby we are now the servants and not God. How do we accomplish this duty of the Christian life in service for God? How do we accomplish all the things that God wants us to do? We accomplish it by grace through faith. It's not a matter of checking off all the boxes. It's not a matter of doing all the right things. But by the grace of God, through faith in him, these are the things that we accomplish. He gets into it more. In verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, Paul points out this specific thing that God... Uh, basically had chosen him from the very beginning to be separated to this work 
of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, that he was going to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, uses this kind of terminology in Jeremiah, uh, that Jeremiah was knit together in the womb, that Jeremiah was chosen for a specific service uh, to preach to the children of Israel. I want to be clear, I'm not saying that they were chosen to be saved. They were chosen to a work, uh, the same way that Christ is chosen to a work, the same way that there were chosen angels given to a work. I'm not saying that they were chosen to be saved. I'm saying that they were chosen for a task. The same way the, the children of Israel were chosen to be a, a light to the Gentiles, the same way that the church is chosen to be the representative body of Christ here in the world. We have a task. We have a, a job to do. So this was Paul's. And this idea that he was called through the grace of God to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And there is this idea that to reveal Christ in us and then through us. Those of you that have trusted Christ, you have to remember that above all else, you have been called to be, one, a vessel of the Spirit of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and two, to be a light to the world wherever you are. This is the task. How do you accomplish that task? Well, by obeying all of these things. No. By grace, through faith. Because the truth be told, as it goes through in Romans, and you get to this point where you get to chapter 4, and it's by faith. You get to chapter 5, that we have peace with God, we've been reconciled. Um, we get to chapter 6, and it talks about how we were, we're now dead to sin, and we're alive to God. We don't live for the old man anymore, we live for God now. And in 7, it gets to this real kind of muddy portion, where all of a sudden it's like, but we're terrible at it. But we're actually not very good at living this Christian life. And, you know, we fail all the time. And there's things that I want to do that I can't do. And there's things that I don't want to do that I do do. And it's like, well, I thought I was saved. I thought I had, I had passed all this. I thought that Christ had forgiven me. I thought I was free from this sin. So what's the problem? What happens when I do these things? What happens when I believe in Christ and then I fail? What happens when I say I'm not going to do it anymore and then I do it? What happens? What do I do to make myself right with God now? In chapter 8, it says, you don't understand. The work is finished. Christ paid it all. In fact, Christ loves you so much that there is nothing in this known and unknown universe that could ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it is this amazing freedom that we feel, that this, we're not going to fail and then God's going to be right around the corner ready to punish us. Why? Because God punished his son on the cross and the work is finished. What were these Judaizers doing? Notice that when Paul's talking about this, he's referring to Judaism as something completely separate. Now, at the time, these people were coming and saying, no, 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 it's not something completely separate. This is still Judaism. We, we just recognize Christ as Messiah. You still have to obey all of these things. When Paul talks about it, he says, back in the days of Judaism, something completely separate. And later on in the other epistles, he re he'll refer to the Jews, a completely different group of people. As he's going through all of this, what were the Judaizers really trying to do? When you create rules, you have to create consequences. Who doles out these consequences? These Judaizers. 
this is what you got to do, and this is, this is how you got to do it. You know, I was, I was, we were raised Catholic, and there's this idea that when you, when you commit a sin, you got to go to the priest, and the priest will absolve you, but then the priest will tell you all the things you got to do to make yourself right with God. So you go into the thing, and you, you, you don't tell them everything. I mean, you tell them the basic stuff, you know. You're not that bad. You know, you go in there, and you tell them, you know, I'm really pretty good. Uh, I could be nicer, you know. I'm kind of mean. Um, can't really think of anything right now that we're here. And you go through all this stuff, and you're there. And, but you, 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 you get done. The priest absolves you. You walk out, and he tells you to do these things, say these prayers, do these things. And you feel good. You feel amazing. You feel like, you know what? This is, this is all right. I have peace with God now. Um, I'm able to do these things to, to, to uh, help my position with God and then to get, get myself in a right That is not the gospel. Now, not to pick on Catholics, um, <laughs> evangelical believers do the same. Um, as Ken was pointing out, I love when he does this, we have this idea that we, we really need something from God. Like, we're really going to pray for it. But it's been a bad week. You know, you lost your temper. You know, you, you had a couple words go off in the mind. You didn't say them out loud, but they went off in the mind, and you didn't mean to say them in your mind. And you feel really bad about it, and you've maybe, you know, been short with your wife, been short with your kids, um, did something you weren't supposed to do at work, and it's like, man, I can't ask God for this right now. I'm going to try to be good for the next two weeks, and then I'll ask God. And then after this two weeks of goodness comes in, then God will do what I want him to do. <laughs> that is not the gospel. The gospel is everything by grace. God gives it to us freely. How do we come into this relationship where we receive this? Through faith. It's amazing that he, he gets into this. He returned again to Damascus. It says in verse 18, After three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. That's amazing that he really had to put that in the scripture. I mean, when you think about it, you know, it, it, it's amazing. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Romans finishes uh, 12 through 16 with really, uh, 9 through 11 has this, this question that is asked. Okay, these are all the promises that we come into in Christ. This is everything that Christ has accomplished for us. This is everything we have in Christ. And the question might be asked, well, what about all the promises he made to Israel? He made a lot of promises to Israel. And Paul is dealing with those in 9 through 11. And he talks about how God is still going to fulfill his promises to Israel in 9 through 11. That the, he's not done with them. That he's put them aside, but he's going to bring them back. And everything he promised to the children of Israel, he is going to be uh, good on. 12, it begins this way. By the mercies of God, I ask you to submit yourself a living sacrifice unto God. So based on everything I've said before, and the mercy of God and the grace of God that you have received, this is how you're now to live. 12 through 15. How do we do it? How do we live that way? 
we have a tendency because we love rules to make up rules. Everything we're supposed to do in a day. Uh, turn real quick to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. This may be a little easier. This is basically the, the uh, looking back at the history of the people um, that he's speaking to in, in Ephesus. It says, And you, in verse 1, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is how the gospel begins. Everybody under sin. And so when we make this statement, we may, and you, you've heard it all the time, in order to get saved, you have to admit to God that you're a sinner. Why is that so important? What's the big deal? Can I just commit to God my life here? You know, you hear this all the time, sometimes. You know, commit your life to God. As in, and it kind of gives this impression sometimes, though we don't mean it, and I don't think they mean it either, but you're actually pretty good, and God actually wants you on his team because God could use you. You know, he thinks you, you, got, you got something that he needs. And so we want you to commit your life to God so that God can really use you to do great things. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 shows us that we're dead and we're, we're completely separated from God. That, 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 you know, we are, we are so wicked. Think about this. We are so wicked that God had to send his only son and punish him and nail him to a cross and pour out his wrath upon him so that we could be made right. A perfect, holy savior had to die to pay for my sin. The, the utter, just the, the level of wickedness needs to be brought to our attention. That we are not just kind of bad. We're not just in there saying, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, I, I kind of screwed up. That we are deserving of separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. That we deserve to go there. That if it weren't for the grace of God, that's where we would be. In verse 4, but God, but God, not us, not do these things, not achieve all these standings, not look good to other people. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, the terms of the gospel, by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift that needs to be received. 
John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. And you might say, well, that was just to the, the Jews at the time, the people that received him. But the verse doesn't finish. It says, even to those who believe on his name. Christ is somebody that has offered himself to you that we have to receive through faith. Not in the things that we do. Not in all the things that we check off. Galatians deals with this in such a strong way in the sense that there's, there's really two problems that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. The first one, there's nothing that you do that merits your salvation. Nothing. It's through faith alone. Okay? The second problem, and this is the one that we kind of struggle with, there's nothing that you can do after you're saved to earn more favor or more esteem or more love in the eyes of God. There's nothing that you do that makes yourself more spiritual or more useful in that sense to God. Because God, by grace, is using you. You have surrendered to him. God is the one doing the work. God is the one that gets the glory. So we, we have these difficulties that we think that obeying the rules makes us a more spiritual person. And so you'll have these times where you go into a place that is called a legalistic place. And basically what that means is they want you to check all these boxes or they're going to keep hammering you. They're going to keep saying, no, 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 you need to do this and you need to do that. So these are the things that Paul's dealing with. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is all the things that we've received. These are all the things that we've come into. How shall we then live? Back in Galatians chapter 1, it finishes with this statement. Um, but they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. When you look at what the apostle is saying here, is that the grace of God had come to Paul who deserved uh, wrath from God as much as anybody, and he feels this way too, that because he persecuted the church, because he rounded up Christians, because he wanted them um, to be tried and, and killed because of their faith in Christ, Paul understood that, that he deserved the wrath of God. Other people deserve, knew that he deserved the wrath of God. But what they do now is they praise God because of the grace that has been shown to the Apostle Paul. Not because of the things that he's doing, but because what God has done in and through him. So when we think of ourselves, can this be said of us? Do people praise God because of the grace that they see in him? We think of this idea, or do they think we're doing a good job because of all the rules that we have made up in our mind and are keeping? To be honest, Brothers and sisters, this is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. To enjoy the grace of God. We want, we want to, to, to do more. We want to achieve more. We want to obey certain rules. We, 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 we want to... But God is just saying, just abide. Abide in my son. Abide in him. Paul was so... Um, worried for the Galatians that he writes this epistle in such strong defense. But the one thing I want you to take away from this, are you enjoying the grace of God? 
Are you finding joy in Christ? Or do you feel that the Christian life is like shackles that have been put on you? That it's all, this, this, now that I've become a Christian, I can't do all of these things. That somehow I'm in bonds now that I've come and trusted Christ. Depending on you, how you feel, the why matters. If you feel like, uh, you know, being a Christian, uh, I, can't, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. You know, I can't do that because, you know, that won't look good. You're missing out. <laughs> You're missing out on the joy of this relationship we have with God and experience somebody that loves you that was willing to die for you. And I, like I say, the easiest relationship is the husband and wife. Think of it as, as I just did these things for Kathy just to keep her from talking to me. I'm just doing these things so that she won't come and, you know, I don't want to use the N word, but um, there's no other word for it, and nag. You know what I mean? I'm doing these things so that I don't have to hear anything. Kathy comes in. The why matters, or am I doing it because I love my wife, because I've chosen to love my wife, not because of anything she's done for me, but this is my choice that I'm making. God has chosen to love us. God has chosen to punish his son instead of us. God has chosen a relationship with us for all eternity. We should enjoy it. This, this isn't a, a thing that we should be shackled by. Um, do they glorify God because of us? Do they look at us and see the grace of God, or do they look at us and see a guy that follows all the rules? Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we uh, think about the gospel, um, we are so thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Father, at this, at this time, if you would just... Um, by your spirit, reach out and touch the hearts of those that uh, do not believe in your son, that do not, have not come into a relationship, have not, in a sense, received your son as a free gift, Father, through faith. We think of what life was like before. And, Father, how there's so many of us at times that, that even act like we want to go back to that life. And, Father, we pray that we would experience the joy of our salvation and that it is something... Um, that comes because you are a God of love, because you are a God that is willing to sacrifice your son that we might have this relationship with you. So, Father, we pray that as brothers and sisters here, those that have believed, that have trusted Christ, that we would live lives that would cause others to praise and glorify you, that would cause others to see all the work that you've done in us and all the work that you're doing through us. Father, that they wouldn't see all the things that we've put in our place to, to achieve, but they would see your hand in and through us. So, Father, we do ask for wisdom as we start this next week. We do ask for grace, Father, as we continue in this walk uh, that you've set before us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.